السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما ان شاء الله we'll begin from bab 25 ان شاء الله but before that somebody asked a question one of the online students we learned about the importance of or the virtue of traveling in order to acquire knowledge and we learned that one of the companions he traveled for an entire month to ask about even one hadith to learn the knowledge of even one hadith so that shows to us how important this is and we discussed the benefits the advantages and what a person misses out on if he does not travel so one of the students they asked that they're an online student so they're not traveling anywhere are they any less are their efforts any less or are they not at the same level the thing is we have learned in the quran earlier that la yastawil qa'iduna من المؤمنين غير اولي الضرر and those who المجاهدون في سبيل الله there is definitely a difference between who those who go out and those who stay at home there is definitely a difference isn't it so and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said that that for the mujahideen there is a daraja there is a level above those who don't go out in the way of allah so there is definitely a difference between the two however we know that both are good In the hadith we learned that the strong believer is more beloved and is better in the sight of Allah compared to the believer that is not that strong. However, وَفِي كُلِّنْ خَيْرٍ But in both there is good. So a person must do whatever he is able to do. However, there is definitely a difference between those who have been given the opportunity to travel and those who have not been given the opportunity to travel. And you can just remember the hadith at this time in which the Prophet ﷺ taught certain tasbihat to those companions who were poor and uh, because they felt as though they were remaining behind compared to those who were spending in the way of Allah and getting ahead. But those who were spending in the way of Allah got to know about those adhkar and they also started saying them And the Prophet ﷺ, what did he say then? That this is the fadl of Allah. That he gives to whomsoever he wills. So what we can do in this situation is avail whatever opportunity we have. Okay? Avail whatever opportunity we have. We should definitely make use of that. Secondly, always have that desire. Always have that intention. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very generous. He also rewards for what? For the intention. For even the desire. So this is something that we can do inshallah. that you keep firm you keep making dua and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also give you the opportunity that we should also remember the hadith in which the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that there are people who got the same reward as those who went out in the way of allah you know any value you cross they were with you in that reward and the only reason why they stayed behind was because there was a genuine reason that prevented them from going forth however they had the desire to go the intention to go so allah rewarded them okay let's continue bab tahrid an-nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam وفد عبد القيس على أن يحفظ الإيمان والعلم ويخبر من وراءهم باب chapter تحريضي تحريض is from حرضاد وحرض المؤمنين what does حرض يحرض تحريض mean to encourage so تحريض النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the encouragement of the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that he gave to who وفد the delegation of عبد القيس of عبد القيس Allah upon meaning he encouraged them to and that yahfazu they should preserve they should protect what should they preserve al imana their iman 
وَالْعِلْمَ and knowledge. وَيُخْبِرُوا and they should inform man whoever is وَرَاءَهُمْ behind them. These people had come to the Prophet ﷺ. They asked him any questions. He taught him many things. And the Prophet ﷺ encouraged them to remember what he had taught them and also to inform those people who were back home, who had not come. وَقَالَ And he said, who? مَالِكُ بْنُ الْحُوَيْرِسِ Malik ibn Huwaydis. He said, قَالَ لَنَا He said to us, who said to us? النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم. So Malik ibn al-Huwaydis, he said that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he told us, ارجعوا, return, إِلَىٰ أَهْلِيكُمْ to your families, فَعَلِّمُوهُمْ And then you will teach them. This chapter heading, what does it show to us? That it is necessary that a person, when he learns something, he must teach those people who are back home. So when you go home, don't forget to share what you are learning over here. Don't forget to share with the folks at home. Why? Because you have been given the opportunity to study something full time. However, everybody has not been given the same opportunity. You are coming here learning every day. There are other people who are going to work perhaps, who are going and studying something else. They would like to study this, but for some reason or the other, they are unable to. So just because they have some other responsibilities, does it mean they should be deprived of knowledge? No. When you have been given the opportunity to learn, then when you go back, you have to share with them so that they don't get completely left behind. It's incumbent on those people who are knowledgeable to take other people along with them. That they should also inform those who do not know. And Imam Malik, he mentions over here the statement of Malik ibn al-Huwaydis. He is a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. And the hadith is not mentioned over here, but Imam Bukhari has indicated to it. This hadith is recorded in Sahih Bukhari as well. It is recorded in Abu Ab Sifat salah It's hadith number 785, in which we learn that Malik ibn al-Huwarith, he came to the Prophet ﷺ with some of his companions and they stayed for approximately 20 nights. And while they were in Medina, they learned obviously a lot from the Prophet ﷺ as well as, you know, observing the people, observing the Muslims, observing the Prophet ﷺ. So when they were leaving, the Prophet ﷺ instructed them that when they go back, they must teach their families. When they go back, they must share the knowledge with their families. And he also said to them that pray as you see me praying. I'll just read out the hadith to you, the English of it, so that you have an idea of what happened exactly. Malik ibn al-Huwaris, he once said to his companion, Shall I tell you about the prayer of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Abu Qilaba said that it was not at the time of the prayer, so he stood up and he did, meaning it wasn't the time of prayer, so he just demonstrated to them how to pray. So he stood up and he did rukur and said the takbir and raised his head and stood for a time and then went into sajda. He raised his head for a short time and prayed the same way as Amr ibn Salima, our shaykh. So in the hadith, basically a few things I've mentioned. And then Malik ibn al-Huwarith, he said, so he showed how to pray and then he said that I know how to pray like this because of how I saw the Prophet ﷺ praying. So he said, we came to the Prophet ﷺ and stayed with him. And he said, if you return to your families, pray such and such a prayer at such and such time. And pray such and such prayer at such and such time. Meaning he instructed them how to pray and when to pray. When it is time for the prayer, one of you should give the adhan and the oldest of you should be the imam. And then he also told them that when you go home, then you tell the people about what you have learned. So Malik ibn al-Huwaydis, he said that the Prophet ﷺ told us, اِرْجِعُوا إِلَىٰ أَهْلِيكُمْ فَعَلِّمُوهُمْ him and his companions had come. The entire tribe had not come. The entire city had not come. Only a few people had come. But while they were in the company of the Prophet ﷺ, they learned many things. Amongst them, how to pray. 
when to pray, in what method. If you read the hadith which tell us about how to pray, Malik ibn al-Huwari's his hadith is the most common one, is one of the most common ones. So he learned the method of prayer and when he went back, the Prophet ﷺ told him that you teach your people. Now imagine, it's not that you go tell the people pray salah, hmm? but you tell them everything that you have learned, even the little, little things. If you think about it, we generally think of what? Sharing with the people, oh, we should have fear of Allah. You know, we should be very honest. We should be very truthful. Yes, very important. But little, little things which are also practical, we should also share those with them. When to pray, how to pray. Why, for example, raise your finger in tashahud. You know, you could share the hadith with them, something that you have learned. Because the thing is that when we learn the hadith, the evidences, and we base our actions on that, it's easier for us to do what we're doing. And if we tell other people, you know, when you sit in the shahud, you should do like this because it's the closest to the sunnah. They don't know the hadith, they haven't heard it. But if you share with them, and you don't have to open the book and read it out to them, you just have to paraphrase it, you have to share it in your own words, isn't it going to be of benefit to them? It is. So don't just vaguely pass on the information, but also specifically also the small details, even they are very important. Because think about it, every time a person follows the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, does he not get additional reward? He does. So if you are benefiting from that, then your family members, people who have not been given the same opportunity as yours, should they not get the same advantage as well? Of course. And if we truly love them, then we should definitely share these little, little things with them as well. Ahl primarily refers to the family. It refers to the families, but you could imagine that back then when people lived, you know, in smaller communities, very close together, then obviously anything that you did in your house, your neighbor would also know about it. So people who, who are close to you, you should definitely share with them. Let's look at the hadith. حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا غندر قال حدثنا شعبة عن أبي جمرة قال كنت he said أترجم Abu Jamra, he said, I used to translate Utarjimu from Tarjuma, Baina between Ibn Abbasin, Ibn Abbas, Wabaina Nas, and between the people. He used to translate what Ibn Abbas عنه, used to say to who? To the rest of the people. Perhaps the rest of the people, they did not know Arabic. Fakala, so he said, meaning Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said to him, that inna wafta Abdul Qais atawun nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. We have read this hadith before, so I'm just going to read the Arabic. فَقَالَ So he said, مَنِ الْوَفْدُ أَوْ مَنِ الْقَوْمُ قَالُوا رَبِعَهُ فَقَالَ مَرْحَبًا بِالْقَوْمُ أَوْ بِالْوَفْدُ غَيْرَ خَزَايَا وَلَا نَدَامًا قَالُوا إِنَّا نَأْتِيكَ مِنْ شُقَّةٍ بَعِيدَةٍ شُقَّةٍ بَعِيدَةٍ What does that mean? Hmm? A long, difficult journey. This is how we come to you. وَبَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكَ هَذَا الْحَيُّ مِنْ كُفَّارِ مُضَرْ وَلَا نَسْتَطِيعُ أَنْ نَأْتِيَكَ إِلَّا فِي شَهْرٍ حَرَامٍ فَمُرْنَا بِأَمْرٍ نُخْبِرْ بِهِ مَنْ وَرَاءَنَا نَدْخُلُ بِهِ الْجَنَّةِ فَأَمَرَهُمْ بِأَرْبَعْ وَنَهَاهُمْ عَنْ أَرْبَعْ أَمَرَهُمْ بِالْإِيمَانِ بِاللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ وَحْدَهُ قَالْ هَلْ تَدْرُونَ قَالَ شَهَادَةُ أَلَّا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ الرَّسُولُ اللَّهِ وَإِقَامُ الصَّلَاةِ وَإِتَاءُ الزَّكَاةِ وَصَوْمُ رَمَضَانِ وَتُعْطُ الْخُمُسَ مِنَ الْمَغْنَمِ وَنَهَاهُمْ عَنِ الدُّبَّاءِ وَالْحَنْتَمِ وَالْمُزَفَّةِ قَالَ شُعْبَةُ رُبَّمَا قَالَ النَّقِيرِ وَرُبَّمَا قَالَ الْمُقَيِّرِ قَالَ إِحْفَظُوهُ وَأَخْبِرُوهُ مَنْ وَرَاءَكُمْ Preserve it, don't forget this knowledge, and inform those people 
who are back home. So the Prophet ﷺ told the delegation of Abdul Qais that when you go home, you share this knowledge with the rest of the people. What does it show? The obligation of spreading knowledge on who? Those who have knowledge. The people of knowledge are not to keep knowledge with themselves, but they have to spread it. And charity begins from where? At home. So this is why start with the family members. Start with the people who are closest to you and then grow your circle gradually. Because it's not right that a person knows something and he acts on it and the people who are around him, living with him, they are in darkness. This would be unfair. Generally what happens? When we learn about something and other people around us don't know about it, we look down on them thinking they don't know and we know. And sometimes we also pass comments on their ignorance. But in fact, when a person behaves like this, he is being ignorant. Ignorant of his major responsibility. That the knowledge he has, he should be sharing it with others instead of keeping it with himself and passing comments on the ignorance of other people. This should not be our way. Whatever we learn, we must also share with others so that we are in light and also they are in that light as well. And also one should remember that whenever he is teaching somebody, he should teach and instruct according to their level. The waft of Abdul Qais, when they came to the Prophet ﷺ, what do we learn in the hadith? That he taught them, he commanded them four things and he forbade them four things. He told them practical, relevant stuff that was important, that was relevant, that was beneficial. It wasn't a lot of information that was given to them that they didn't know what to do with. No, it was stuff that they could actually implement, that they could act on. So similarly, when we are teaching something to others, we should make sure that it is according to their level. They can actually grasp it. They can understand it. It is relevant to them. Because many times it happens that we start sharing something with our family members and we get very disappointed because we say, oh, they're not interested. Huh? They don't want to listen. They're not interested at all. And that's it. We stop sharing anything with them. Probably because of what we were sharing with them. Talk about things that are of their interest, that they like to know. You know, for example, if you know that somebody is not that interested in the details of salah, okay, and you know that every time you tell them pray, they get irritated. You know, people are like that, especially children, especially young children, they're like that. So instead of telling them about, you know, we learned about this hadith in which we learned that if a person doesn't pray, then such and such. Instead of sharing such things, we should talk to them about stuff that they can understand You know, their heart is into it so that they actually like it. Once they like listening to you, then they will listen to anything that you tell them. So it's about how you pass on the information. In what way? I'm not saying that telling them about salah is not important. It's very, very important. However, if you know that they're not going to absorb that information, then start with information that they will absorb, that they will be interested in. And we learned that Salman al-Farisi, when he came to Medina, and he tested the Prophet ﷺ in several ways, didn't he? And one of the things that he wanted to do was he wanted to see the seal of the Prophethood on the Prophet ﷺ's back. And it is said that he was behind the Prophet ﷺ trying to look. And the Prophet ﷺ figured out. And he lowered his shawl so that he could see it. So he gave him what he wanted to see what he wanted to know, without even Salman al-Farisi's asking him. So you see what the other person wants, what they need, what they like, what they're interested in. You know, at this time, he could have been told, do you doubt the prophethood? No, but it was something that he was interested in. 
So this is why it was shown to him. So we have to remember the audience, the people who are in front of us. Always talk about things that are relevant to them. Never ever overlook their state. Never ever overlook their, you know, their weakness or their strength. Always be concerned about that. Let's continue. Bab al-rihlati, traveling, fil mas'alati, for al-mas'ala. What is al-mas'ala? A problem. Al-nazila. Al-nazila, the one that has arrived. Meaning, a new issue, a new problem. Or a question, a problem that a person cannot figure out what the solution to it is. وَتَعْلِيمِ and teaching ahlihi, his family. A person traveling to find out the solution to one problem. And then coming back and teaching his family. We learned earlier about الخروج في طلب العلم Is this the same thing? خروج في طلب العلم That is general okay? And this is specific This is more khas That a person is going out To find the solution of one problem in particular And that is خروج في طلب العلم A person is traveling to gain knowledge حدثنا محمد بن مقاتل أبو الحسن قال أخبرنا عبد الله قال أخبرنا عمر بن سعيد بن أبي حسين قال حدثني عبد الله بن أبي مليكة عن عقبة بن الحارث that أنه indeed he meaning عقبة بن الحارث he تزوج he married ابنة daughter of لأبي إهاب the daughter of Abu Ihab ابن عزيز فأتته so she came to him who came to him امرأة a woman so Uqba, he married the daughter of Abu Ihab, and a woman came to him, فقالت, and she said, Inni indeed I قد in fact ardartu, I nursed. Uqbata, Uqba, wallati, and the woman who tazawajabiha, he married. I have nursed both Uqba as well as the woman whom he has married. فقالت, so he said laha to her, Uqbatu, Uqba, he said to her, Ma a'lamu, I did not know أنك, that indeed you أرضعتني, that you nursed me ولا أنور, أخبرتني, you did not also tell me I had no idea that you had nursed me obviously who would remember and you never informed me either you never told me later in my life that you had nursed me فركبة. so he traveled this is from Rukub Rukub is to go on a mount to go on a mount to travel on a mount so Rakiba he traveled إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بالمدينتي. So he went, he traveled to Medina, فَسَأَلَهُ So he asked him, that what am I supposed to do? فَقَالَ So he said, رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ كَيْفَ هَاهُ وَقَدْ قِيلَ And in fact it has been said. Meaning how can you remain married to her? How can you continue to live with her when it has been said that she nursed you and her? How is it possible? In other words, you cannot stay. فَفَارَقَهَا So he separated from her. Who Ruqbatu Ruqba Wanakahat and she married Zaujan, a spouse, a husband, Gairahu other than him. So the woman also she remarried soon after. What do we learn in this hadith? We see that the woman came and Uqba, when he found out that okay there could be a potential problem with my nikah, he went to the Prophet ﷺ to find out a solution to one question, one problem, one issue. What does that show to us? That if a person has even you know, one problem whose solution he cannot figure out, then what should he do? Ignore it? He said, forget it, I don't know about it, so never mind. A person should find out, even if it requires traveling from him. These days, alhamdulillah, we don't have to travel. 
All we need to do sometimes is what? Write an email. Make a phone call. Drive to a center maximum. Make an appointment. That's all we have to do. A person must not be lazy when it comes to learning knowledge. When it comes to finding the answer to even one problem. When it comes to finding the answer to even one problem. Don't be lazy over there. Generally we say, it's okay, it's no big deal, never mind. Okay, I'll figure out. Maybe I'll learn about it. No, be inquisitive. You know, be greedy for the answer. Don't let it go. Find out about it. And one thing that you can do is, you know, for example, make a separate notebook or make a certain file or, or anything that you want to do and write such questions that you come across and you cannot find the answer to them. Okay, make a note of them so that you don't forget about those questions the next time you have an opportunity to ask somebody about it. Make a note of such questions and whenever you get a chance, find out. You know, it happens, for example, you come across a, an issue and you cannot figure out, you ask somebody they don't know and then you're so busy that you forget about it. You know, something that you could learn, you could possibly lose that opportunity. So what should you do? Make a note of it so that later, whenever you have the chance, you can find out. I remember when my mother's teacher, when he came to visit us, my mother had a whole notebook in which there were so many questions written. I remember she was brainstorming with somebody, you know, these are the questions that we can ask. So they were writing all of the questions. And when he came, you know, they were asking one question after the other. You don't have this opportunity every day, but whenever you do have the opportunity, you should be able to benefit from it. So every single question, give importance to it. Because you never know, it might bring a lot of benefit to you or to other people who are around you. Then we also see in this hadith that one woman's testimony was accepted. One woman came and she said that I have nursed both her and him. She wasn't asked to bring any other witnesses, any other people to testify, to bear witness. No. One woman's testimony was accepted. What does it show to us? That a situation, an issue, a problem that women are related to, okay, their testimony in those matters is sufficient. For example, when it comes to rada'ah, right? When it comes to nursing, when it comes to breastfeeding, every woman knows if she has nursed a child or not. This is an experience that a woman cannot forget. So when it comes to this matter, that woman's testimony is sufficient. But when it comes to, for example, financial transactions, these issues are generally, not always, but generally related to who? Men. And they're mostly male-dominated as well. So this is why in those situations, whose testimony is required? The testimony of men. But it's amazing how in this case, even one woman's shahada is accepted. It's a very personal issue, so it's quite possible that she's the only one who's aware. Or she's the only one who remembers. Other people might not remember, but she remembers very well. She knew that she had nursed both of them. And the couple did not know. Perhaps other people also did not know, because if they did, they would have prevented that nikah from taking place. But she had that knowledge and she came and spoke up. She didn't say, oh my God, they're already married, so forget it, I'm going to ruin their marriage. No, this was you know, going against the laws of the Sharia. And she was the one who had knowledge about that matter, so she came to divorce. First, when the judge nullifies the nikah, neither of these took place. Why? Because these three occur when there is a valid nikah. But this was not a nikah. It was not a valid nikah. So all that was required was for both of them to separate. And whatever happened, happened out of ignorance. So, you know, this is something that they were not held accountable for. This was not like zina. No, because it, it happened in ignorance. And no iddah 
Nothing whatsoever. And this is why it has been said, وَنَكَحَتْ زَوْجًا غَيْرَهُ So talaq, fasq, khul' they only take place when there is a valid nikah. This is not a nikah. So they separated them. He didn't say, you know what, I'll send somebody, maybe we'll find out. No, he traveled all the way and he found out the answer. Amazing how they they accepted the answer of the Prophet ﷺ and they applied it immediately and look at the woman. She got married. Because generally what happens? People are very hesitant in accepting such a command, especially if it affects their family, affects their, you know, it shows their mistake. They don't want to accept it. They weren't looking for a way out. They accepted the situation, they accepted their mistake, and look at the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made a way out of them, and that woman also got married soon after. It's not divorce. It's not talaq. Faraqaf is from separation. So he separated from her. And even if you look at it as divorce, I mean, don't take it as technical divorce. Take the meaning of the English divorce as just separation between the man and the woman. Let's continue. Bab at-tanawubi fil-ilmi. At-tanawub. Tanawub is to take turns in doing something. Nunwaba, to take turns, to go one by one. So at-tanawub, taking turns, fil-ilm, in gaining knowledge. Sometimes it's not possible for, let's say, all members of the family to learn to gain knowledge at the same time. There may be some responsibilities. There may be some, you know, problems or some situations that prevents one or two people from learning, from going out. So in this case, should all the people be deprived? No. Or should even one of them be deprived? No. In this situation, what can be done is people can take turns. So for example, one year the mother can take the course and the next year the daughter can take the course or the daughter-in-law can take the course. So that neither the house gets affected, the family, the children, they don't get affected. And at the same time, neither of them are deprived of learning. Similarly, one course the husband can take while the wife is looking after the children and the next course the wife can take while the husband is looking after the children. So taking turns so that both can learn. Not that one is going ahead and the other is remaining behind. That's not fair. So both can continue like this by taking turns. حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوا الْيَمَانِ أَخْبَرَنَا شُعَيْبٌ عَنِ الزُّهْرِيِّ حَا قَالَ أَبُوا عَبْدِ اللَّهِ وَقَالَ أَبْنُ وَهْبٍ أَخْبَرَنَا يُونُسُ عَنِ أَبْنِ شِهَابٍ عَنْ عُبَيْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ أَبِي ثَوْرٍ عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَبَّاسٍ عَنْ عُمَرَ قَالَ He said, عُمَرَ رَضِي اللَّهُ عَنْهُ said, كُنْتُ I, كُنْتُ I was, أَنَا I, وَجَارٌ and neighbor, leave for me, من الأنصار of the أنصار في إن بني أمية بن زيد We used to live where? In Banu Umayyah ibn Zaid, Wahya, and it was min from Awali al-Madina, the Awali of Medina. What does it mean by that? Awali is basically, it refers to a particular area, especially in the east of Medina, where certain villages or populations were. That's where people used to live. So it's towards the east side of Medina. So Umar radiallahu he's saying that myself and my neighbor, okay, one of my neighbors from the Ansar, Both of us used to live over here, in this vicinity, in this area. Okay, you can say like, for example, a person says, we used to live in downtown, we used to live in, you know, by the highway. It's just to describe the location. Okay, so similarly, they used to live in this area. And why was it called the Banu Umayyah ibn Zayd? Because the Banu Umayyah, they were the first ones to live over there. وَكُنَّا And we used to, meaning both of us used to, نَتَنَاوَبُ 
we used to take turns. In what an-nuzul, in descending, in coming to ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The word nuzul over here doesn't mean coming down from above, literally, but it means arriving at, okay, going to. So we used to take turns in going to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in order to learn from him. Yanzilu yawman, he would go one day, wa anzilu, and I would go yawman another day. So we would go turn by turn. Fa'ida, so when nazaltu, I would go, jituhu, I would come to him, bi khabari, with news, with information of, thalikal yawm of that day, min al wahi, of the revelation, wa ghayri, and other than it. So the day that I would go, whenever I would come back, I would share with him whatever I had learned of wahi, or any other major event, any other major thing that happened, I would come and share with him. Wa'ida nazala, and when he would go, fa'ala mithla thalik. He would do similar to that. Fanazala, so he went, Sahibi, my companion, Al Ansari, the Ansari companion, Yoma Nawbatihi, on the day of his turn. So one day when he had gone for his turn, when he came back, Fadaraba, so he came and struck Babi, my door, Darban Shadidan, a very severe blow, meaning he came knocking at my door very loudly. Fakala, so he said, A is Thamma there, Huahi, is he there? Thamma means there. Remember in Surah Al-Insan? وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَ ثَمَّ رَأَيْتَ Thamma means there. So فَقَالَ أَثَمَّ هُوَ Is he there? Meaning is Umar there? فَفَزِعْتُ So I was terrified. I was afraid. فَخَرَجْتُ So I came out إِلَيْهِ to him. فَقَالَ So he said, قَدْ In fact, حَدَثَ It happened. أَمْرٌ عَظِيمٌ Something very major. عَظِيمٌ Great. Something great happened. قَالَ He said, فَدَخَلْتُ so I came upon, meaning Umar radiallahu anhu, he went to who? Ala Hafsata, to Hafsa. Who was Hafsa? The wife of the Prophet ﷺ, the daughter of Umar radiallahu anhu. So he was told something major had happened, he went to his daughter's house because that was one of the first places where he could get the news from, right? And obviously news that was correct. Fa'ida, so there she was, he or she, tabki, she was weeping, she was crying. So he found her crying. Fa'qultu, so I said, has he divorced you? Meaning the Messenger of Allah Has he divorced all of you? قالت, she said, لا أدري, I don't know. This is referring to the incident that we have learned in Surah Al-Ahzab. Then, دخلتu, I entered upon فقلتu, So I said, While I was still standing, I said, أَطَلَّقْتَ Have you divorced Nisa'aka, your wives, your women? قَالَ He said, لَا فَقُلْتُ So I said, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Allah is the greatest. Meaning, with something else then, inshallah, things should be okay. So, what do we learn in this hadith? That Umar and his companion, they used to go to the Prophet ﷺ in turns. Why? Why not both of them every single day? They had houses to look after, families to take care of, right? businesses to take care of. So this is why they could not go every single day. But just because they had work to do, doesn't mean they should be deprived of learning. No. They made a deal with one another. You go one day, I take care of your stuff. And you learn and you come back and you teach me everything you've learned. I go one day and you take care of my stuff. So this way, their work was done and at the same time, they also got to learn. They made accommodations for one another. 
they cooperated with one another, they helped one another, and in this way, both of them got to learn, and both of them, their work also got accomplished. Just because a person is working full time, doesn't mean they don't need to learn, or they don't have the opportunity to learn, or they cannot find an opportunity to learn. No. There's always some way or the other that a person can make, that a person can figure out, so that he doesn't remain ignorant when it comes to the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see, some types of ilm, they are fard ayn. Other types of ilm, what are they? Fard kifaya. When it comes to fard kifaya, okay, if some people don't go forth and learn all of that stuff, it's okay. However, when it comes to fard ayn, for that a person has to take time out. A person has to make accommodations. A person has to figure out, you know, with his family members, with his friends, with his co-workers, how, you know, something or the other can be arranged so that he does not remain ignorant. Because if he doesn't give this a priority, learning the knowledge, then his deen will be affected. His deen will be affected. And this is a major concern then, a major problem. So we see that Umar anhu and his companion, they both supported one another and both of them got to learn in this manner. That people sometimes they will do part-time job and at the same time they will continue their study so that in the same amount of time or in slightly more, they can accomplish both the things together. Or for example, if you have something important to do one day, then what do you do? You ask your friend if they can make up, you know, at your work and you can be elsewhere and they can be at the workplace. You know, you adjust your schedules so that the work also gets done and you also get to learn. So for example, your siblings or your parents or your spouse or whoever, if they need to learn something and it's necessary for them, then you figure out some way. Get help or you know, offer them that, you know, for example, I will keep the kids or I will pick up the kids and drop them off or I will deal with this problem and you go and take this course and you go and study this. So that the family doesn't get affected, the work doesn't get affected at the same time, both can learn. This cannot be done unless and until a person is motivated himself. You know, another person can make all the accommodations for you in the world. They'll tell you, you know what, I'll cook, I'll clean, I'll keep the kids, I'll do this, I'll do this. You just sit and learn. You just go and study. But if they're not motivated themselves, then no matter what accommodations are made for them, they're not going to benefit. You know what happens? For example, mothers, they will say to their children, you just focus on studying. I will take care of everything. And the mother, the poor woman, she is... You know, overworked, but still, look, the children, what's their problem? They're not motivated enough. So a person cannot do this unless and until the drive is from within. And we see that Umar al-Dara'anu and his companion, they were both learning in a way part-time, not full-time, but part-time. But whatever they missed out on, they made sure that they, you know, took the notes or they listened to the recordings, okay? Got the gist of, obviously, it's not in the literal sense. You know what I mean. You know, a person must keep learning, Okay, whether it's part-time, full-time, whatever opportunity he gets. And if you think about it, you know, sometimes we ask somebody to, for example, look after the kids so that we can go to a party. You know, keep the kids so that we can go to the mall. We can take a nap. Why not do this so that we can learn? Why not? You know, if people are willing to help you, take that help. If people are willing to cooperate with you, then take benefit of that opportunity. Don't miss out on it. We see a buddy system over here. That two people, they're studying together. And when two people are studying together, then, you know, they keep each other on track. They keep motivating one another. And this is why, for example, in grammar or in tajweed, I believe as well, in tahfil, or in grammar at least, you know, partners were made. Why? Why? So that 
you know, both can help one another. You get to discuss things with each other. You get to share your reflections. There's a lot of benefit in studying with a friend. Let's continue. باب الغضب في الموعظة والتعليم إذا رأى ما يكره الغضب anger في الموعظة in advising والتعليم and in teaching إذا رأى when he saw ما يكره what he dislikes meaning if the instructor if the teacher sees something that he dislikes while he is advising people or while he is teaching people is he allowed to show that anger or not yes he is We see that where gentleness is required, firmness and strictness are also necessary. Just like children, if you're teaching them something, at one occasion, you ignore their mistake. At another occasion, you point out to it in a very nice manner, very lovingly, in a very affectionate manner. And at another instance, you show a little bit of anger as well. Why? Both are required. Both are necessary. In fact, all three. Sometimes you have to completely ignore. Sometimes you have to say very nicely. And other times you have to show with a little bit of strictness. All are necessary. Because this is what keeps a person, keeps a student, you know, balanced. If you keep saying very nicely, then they will think that they are the best people on this planet. You know, if you're very, very strict with them, then they might run away. If you keep ignoring, then they will end up learning nothing. So you have to keep a balance. You have to adopt all these three ways when correcting the students. And we see this in the Qur'an as well. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He encourages people by mentioning reward. And sometimes by mentioning punishment, He also warns us. So, And sometimes we see that the style is very loving. And other times we see that the style is very strict. And both are necessary. Sometimes, you know, it melts you. Sometimes it makes you ashamed. Sometimes, you know, it, it makes you afraid. So all these styles are necessary. So similarly, when a person is teaching, when a person is instructing, all these ways are necessary. And we see that sometimes there are some matters for which anger has to be shown. I mean, if somebody's doing something terribly wrong, you can't just say, my dear, please don't do this. Why? Because they're not going to get the message. Sometimes a little bit of toughness, strictness has to be there. Why? So that people take that matter very seriously. So that the student remembers and then he doesn't forget. It really affects him. Because you know when something affects you in your heart, then you don't forget about it. If it has impacted your heart. And if it's something that has not reached your heart, then you're going to forget it very soon. So it's necessary therefore that sometimes anger is also shown. And a student, if ever, they are dealt with strictly. You know, for example, the teacher shows a little bit of anger. The student should never ever take offense to this. Why? Because they should remember that if the teacher has been angry at something, especially when it comes to the knowledge of the deen, then this is not anger for the sake of one's nafs, but this is anger for the sake of the religion of Allah. For the sake of Allah. Isn't it so? Because if you're sitting in your living room with somebody and they're sitting in a very casual manner, it's no big deal. But if somebody is sitting in the majlis of ilm in a very casual manner, it is a problem. And they have to be corrected. Similarly, if a person is not taking what you're saying to them seriously in a casual sitting, it's okay. But in a gathering of knowledge, if a person is not paying attention, 
If a person is not observing the proper etiquette, the proper adab, he's not taking that knowledge seriously, then this is a serious matter. Because, you know, when it comes to defending ourselves, we become very, you know, emotional over there. But when it comes to defending the religion of Allah, then our emotions should also come over there. Okay, we should also take that matter seriously. And also, a student, if ever they are dealt with strictly, they should never ever take this, you know, personally. We get offended and we think, oh, this was very rude or this was not fair and I'm never coming back again. No. Think about it. Who would you yell at? A stranger? Who would you show your anger to? Somebody who you don't care about? No. Somebody whom you are concerned about. Somebody who you care about. So if your teacher pointed out to you, corrected your mistake, was a little tough over there, then be happy that they care for you. I remember all those times when my teachers ever corrected me, whether it was in public or in private. And believe me, I can still as though hear those words and they still drive me today. They still push me today to do what I have to. And if it was not their you know, scolding or their yelling, perhaps I would not be as motivated today to do what I'm doing. I remember once there was something that was supposed to be done and um, my mother, she was there and she said, Tammy, you're going to do it. And I said, no way. And she said, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. Never say that. And she was, for a minute I thought she was joking, but she was actually very serious and I got scared. But any time when I'm about to say no to something, I can as though picture her, I can hear her, because it really affected me. Similarly, once in class, I was moving a little too much, and she pointed out and she corrected me, and till today I remember. I cannot forget that memory. So if ever we are corrected, never ever take offense to that. Never ever take offense to that. If the teacher ever shows any kind of anger, Correct yourself immediately. Learn from that. And keep that lesson with you forever. The problem is that, you know, there's a distinction that is made between parents and teachers. You know, that we think that the teacher is just somebody who's passing on that information to you and not necessarily teaching you adab or doing your tarbiyah. Where we see that teachers, they play a very important role in that. If they're ever, you know, teaching something, if they're ever doing tarbiyah, this is their responsibility. This is something that they're supposed to do. You know, manners are not just taught by parents, but they're also supposed to be taught by teachers. So it is important that we teach our children to respect their teachers and to accept whatever their teachers give them. You know, obviously those teachers are those who are teaching them deen. So we should teach them this adab, you know, to have some respect for their teachers. And this way, if their teachers ever correct them, then they will not be offended, inshallah. And always remember that statement that Al-ilmu yadir'u bayna al-haya'i wal-kibri If our kibr comes over there Why are they talking to me like this? And who are they to point out my mistake? And who are they to tell me? They're not my parents They're younger than me Then Al-ilmu yadir'u It will get wasted Knowledge will get wasted It will not stay with you Inshallah we'll conclude over here Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.